So You Think You Want to Work in TV is brought to you by you. That's right. You guys support this podcast, and I rely on your donations to keep this train a-going. So please, go to so you think you want to work in TV.com, click on that upper left-hand corner where it says Donate, and make a one-time donation, or visit our Patreon and become a monthly subscriber where you will absolutely get exclusive content. So uh, become a supporter, won't you? You know you want to. <laughs> Hey guys, it's our last Monday in June. What happened? You guys, where did the year go? It's already, we're already going into July. And I know this because I live very close to Koreatown and they, they really love fireworks there and it scares the crap out of my old dog. Um, and everybody else's dogs for that matter. But anyway, my whole point of bringing up the month of June is I wanted to have one of the gayest people I know uh, be one of my guests and his name is Brad Locally and that's who you're going to hear from today. He's uh, been on a, a show for True TV. He was on Last Comic Standing season nine and we talk about translating, you, you know, how to translate that TV, those little TV successes into something bigger so that you can keep, you know, keep the money train happening because uh, sucks being broke. Anyway, Brad's amazing and the bonus content is fire. If you are a patron at the $5 and above level, you will get to hear this. It's a great story about Carrie Fisher. We barely touch on it in the episode, but then we talk about it in the bonus content and it is, it's such a great story. Actually, Brad told me after we got done recording, we're just chatting in my living room and Brad tells me this story. And I was like, Brad, we got to record this. But he had to go. So he Skyped with me the next day and then, you know, told me the story. And it's so good. Um, anyway, if you uh, if you have the time, I would love it if you would rate or review the podcast. Don't rate or review it. Rate and review it. Be a boss about it. Um, I'd love that help. It really does make a difference for the podcast. And if you'd like to become a patron, please do. You can become a patron at any level. You can be $1 a month. $1 a month patron. That would be fantastic. Or you can climb the, the ladder and do different, uh, different tiers. You're going to get good stuff. You're getting stuff. I'm not asking you to be a patron and me not give you anything. That would be rude. Um, anyway, please visit my website so you think you want to work in TV.com for past episodes, for links so you can listen to episodes, you can stream episodes, you can do all kinds of things. You, need, you can follow me on Instagram there. There's a link to my Instagram, Facebook, all of it. Hit up my socials. I love hearing from people. Uh, come into our closed group so we can chop it up about episodes and gossip and television and shadiness. You know, we can be completely open about it because it's a closed group, baby. Um, all right, cool. Now it's time for you guys to meet Brad. Brad, thank you for doing my podcast. Of course. So how did you get into the business? And I want to know, like, from the second you decided you were going to be a comedian. Oh, God. oh comedian. The comedian was uh, and still is my last ditch effort to try to be successful in show business. And it is the one that has worked the best thus far. I, I went to college for music theater at a conservatory. I toured for a bunch of years doing plays and musicals. And then I fell totally out of love with it and didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was literally everyone else in my life. Like I was waiting tables and customers would be like, you must be a comedian. And I'd be like, how dare you? I'm an actress. Um, I'm sorry. We're going to have to back up for a second. Which musicals were you in? Oh, <laughs> 
I mean, I did everything. I did two back-to-back professional productions of The Music Man, where I played Marcellus, the best friend of Harold Hill. So I spent like nine months of my life singing Shapoopy <laughs> all oh, week long. I think that should be your the name of your uh, second book. <laughs> that's my PTSD, is if that <laughs> song ever comes on on like a Pandora Broadway channel, I veer the car off the road and drive it into the ocean. Um, I mean, I did, yeah, I did uh, anything go, I mean, I did all kind of the classics and tour and plays. I cannot see you singing and dancing in a Broadway show. Girl, she was, she was a huffer. I cannot. She would dance and kick her leg. I was dream curly in a production of Oklahoma where I had to do the whole dream ballet. I, I used to dance before my body turned into the waterbed that it now is. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? Did you take dance I swear to God, there are photos. You can go on my, uh, deep in my Facebook and find all of them. Yep. I did ballet and modern and tap and jazz and all of that. Yeah, that was my whole. She was a little Elaine Stritch. I was oh a little gay God. Elaine Stritch. I was a young Nathan Lane <laughs> shuffling around Manhattan. You were you were a, a, a same age Doogie Howser. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're a li- little younger than Doogie Howser, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, and then that dream died a death, and yeah. I and I hated it. I really, I would get cast in something, and it would feel like I had taken a job at the post office, mm. and I was like punching a clock, and and I. So were these bus and truck tours, or this was just high school and these, college. No, these were bus and truck tours. They were? Yeah, like big regional theaters. That's like, a big yeah, deal. Yeah, state theaters under the stars, all those kinds of stuff. Those are like, equity yeah. shows. Yeah, no, it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. Oh my God, Brad, I had no idea. And then I hated it. I hated it, hated it, hated it. What did you hate most about it? The repetition or the travel? I hated that. I what? On, no, I love traveling. I would gladly spend my entire life on a bus or in a car or on a plane uh, or on a boat or whatever. But uh, I did, I hated that it felt so uncreative Hmm. to do the same performance every night. Like I enjoyed the rehearsal process and I enjoy, and I started to hate working with other people. And because I was always casting comedic roles, I hated that when the joke didn't work because maybe it's because the show was written in 1956. So that punchline, and I would improv on stage because I decided I was funnier than Rodgers and Hammerstein, which I am sometimes. I I would agree with that. Um, You get in trouble. You can get penalized. You have to get talked to by the stage manager, the director. You can't just rewrite someone else's copywritten work licensed right and so that started to piss me off because I was like it's not working and people paid to see a show that works and we can fix this oh could you imagine if you like improv if you were in the cast of Fiddler and you improvised I mean I honestly you threw in a RuPaul's Drag Race reference They would love it. Yes, right? (laughs) But, and so what I also hated was when something wasn't working on stage and I knew I was doing my part in a cast member, I started to become a terrible actor because I don't play well with others when all of our work is being treated equal, Mm. but none of us have power to change any of it. So I literally, I tried stand-up because literally for a year or two, people had been saying, just try it. You'll probably love it. And I was so sick in my mind of like, I can't just, I mean, it seems ridiculous now, but I was like you know I was 23 24 and I was like I've been doing this since I was 12 this other thing since I was 12 in community theater and training and taking lessons and classes I'm I can't just throw away all of this Brad I'm making you tap dance for me after we're done (laughs) 
on my gouty feet, on my old fat I'm, gouty oh feet. Oh my God. I, I, that's something I've always wanted to do. I have a pair of tap shoes in my closet. In fairness, tap is the thing I'm the least good at. Oh, really? But, I mean, I can still tap I bet you, you're still better than me. You're still yeah, better than me. I can still me. tap proficiently. So, okay, so so you were 23. Yeah. So when you were auditioning for these shows, were you auditioning for them in New York and then going on the road? Or? Yeah. Okay. It was all, it was, I was. I oh was, my God, Brad, I had no idea. I you were like a, Irene Carroll. I. <laughs> I really was. I totally, and I thought that was my life. That was from the time I had You're been. You're like, I'm going to be Debbie Reynolds. I'm going to be Debbie Reynolds. <laughs> How many women can we throw out yeah. there? How many references? <laughs> I mean, I was once in a callback for an audition and Elaine Stritch was rehearsing something in the I same fucking love studio her. and we got into the elevator together and I immediately realized who it was and I had held the elevator just because this older lady with glasses was like, hold the door. And I held it and I, she went, thank you. And I saw who it was and I went, Oh, I would hold anything for you, Miss Stretch. And she laughed and said, that's very sweet. We went upstairs. She was rehearsing. And then she went out to pee right as I was going in for my callback. I did the callback. I didn't get the role. It was to be Rooster in a national tour of Annie, which at that point would have been a great role for me in a role. I was like, this will be fun because I only have to work for like 20 minutes a night. I get to do easy street, do a big fucking high kicking number and abuse children and go back to my dressing room. Yeah. So it's a, it's been my dream. <laughs> and I came out. It was a good callback, but I came out and everyone in the hallway was like, come here. And they were like, Elaine Stritch came out and put her ear to the door and listened to you the entire time. And right as you finished, she was like, yep, the kids got it. <gasps> and I like, you know, it's that moment of like a comedian when one of your idols says to you when you're a young comic, that's a great set. Keep doing this. That keeps you alive for like two years. Well, how did you I see now if Lane Stritch had said that about me, I would have ha- had a really hard time walking away from a Which, life. Which again the is one of the reasons. No, I really thought like I'll just wait until Nathan Lane dies and then I'll take all his roles. Right. Well, he, well, that's I'm glad you changed gears because that bitch is still alive. She's still <laughs> pitching herself. Will not. She, she takes will every role. That's right. <laughs> um, but so I literally tried stand-up comedy finally on a whim because I hadn't at that point performed in any way professionally in almost like a year mm-hmm. or two, which for me had been the longest period ever in my life since I was 12 years old. So I was kind of like, I don't, okay, like I, let me just fuck, fuck it. Let me go try it. And I did it and it worked and it felt really good. And the booker of that show came up to me after and said, is this really the first time you've had? I said, yeah. Um, and uh, he was like, uh, come here every weekend. He had two to four shows a night at Don't Tell Mamas in New York City every single week. With you know what games. I used to call that place? What? Don't throw mama from the train. <laughs> I we, love Don't Tell Mama. We threw mama from the train many a night. But I literally then every weekend would come Friday and Saturday night and he would put me up anytime somebody fell through. He was like, I can promise you, you'll probably get up like once or twice a month for sure. But you will be my go-to every time someone doesn't show up. And even if you don't go up, just come in. You don't have to pay a cover by drinks. And just fucking watch everybody get up on this stage and do it. And learn. Because he, as soon as he knew I had like a theater background, he's like, you already know how to hold a mic and act natural on stage. And you know who you are. And you know how to like make eye contact with an audience. You know audience. how to connect. He's like, it takes comics who are years. naturally great writers or comedians years to figure that out. He's like, all All you need now is time and chances of throwing material at an audience to hone it. And that was my comedy college for the next couple of years. 
And then that led to me getting a job on Fire Island, uh, bartending and uh, uh, co-hosting and producing a weekly comedy show. Amazing. Which was a huge learning experience because it was a drunk, gay, rowdy, that was tra- my, that was my drag train. race, drag race yep. crowd. Yep. And a lot of repeats. People who lived there all summer. So you, so you just could couldn't not redu- do the yep. same five minutes to open every week. You had to do current events and crowd work. You have to do crowd work when you do a drunk gay and crowd. And I did that for five years. That's all they years. want. They're like, when is this bitch going to yeah. insult us? And then that led to me uh, taking over a pre-existing running weekly show in New York City at this gay club called Therapy, which I then ran for like eight years. Oh, wow. And during that is when a guy, a gay executive who worked at what was Court TV, worked at True TV, then became True TV, and they came in and said, do you know any gay comics? Because we started this new show, World's Dumbest, and Judy Gold is testing really well on it. We didn't expect that because she's a loud Jewish lesbian, and this show is like mostly for the flyover states, so maybe a gay dude will work. And he was like, I know a gay dude. I've been like waiting to... And literally, I mean, it was the most classic cliched Hollywood-like... Someone was in my audience and saw me and then waited for the right moment like three years later, got me an audition. That's how I've gotten every TV yeah. job. Every I did job. one test taping. By the time I got home on the A train from the test taping to my apartment, it was like a 30-minute train ride. There was a call from uh, uh, the girl who had booked me for the thing who said, they loved your test taping. They're using your material in next week's episode. We want to book you for the next six right now. And then halfway through the six, the executive producer and creator of it came in to sit in on one of my tapings to finally meet me. And everyone was like, he never does this. And he was like, I just wanted to actually meet you and see if you're actually as good taping as you clearly are in what they're showing me in edits. And then they gave me like a foot. They were like, you're, you're, you're a cast member indefinitely. You'll tape every other week for as long as the show exists. Okay. So questions about that technical questions, because I've done talking head shows and they've been two different ways for me. One way it was they played, paid me a flat rate to come right. in for the day. And audience, just so you know, when you see comics doing these talking head shows, right. we write all the material. Right, yes. So we wrote all the jokes. They just send they send, they send you a, a link with yeah. clips ahead of time. Yeah. Um, we did it so, I mean, that show ran so long. For the first, like, two or three years, it was DVDs. Oh, yeah, I got a DVD They were on sending one. DVDs. I did one for uh, for SoapNet. Yeah. And I, I got a it DVD. It was DVDs and then, yeah. So, uh, but you write the jokes ahead of time. And then when I did them for E, they were union. So not only right. did I get paid a union rate, I got residuals. Yeah. So what was the deal at True TV? Were you able to pay your, like, what did they, what was it, what was the deal? Well, I mean, so uh, I'll give you both sides. It was non-union. We were paid a flat rate. We got raises over the years, but nothing crazy. You know, at the end of the day, we got paid a lot better than a lot of non-union or sometimes even union. Like, Mm -hmm. there are many cast members on World's Dumbest who were on the the original VH1 Best Week ever. And they're like, for the record, we're getting paid more, even though there's no residuals afterwards, than... Best week ever was paying back then. Best week ever. Because that scale of what that is in the union is not a great rate. Like, a non-union production company doesn't have to struggle to match non-union people's, the union rate. You know what I mean? So, but you don't get residuals. But it was true TV and nothing on, you know what I mean? It was, it was, that show was non-union the entire time. Um... 
And so, but it was good pay. It was the job that as soon as I was a full-time cast member, I was able to quit my restaurant job finally. That's great. Because between that and the live gigs I was already having, like, you know, I was like 50% on the way to where I could have made a living. And then that pushed me over the mark. Amazing. Um, I mean, we'd taped for seven or eight years. I mean, it had a very long run. How many episodes? Um, uh, Or how many seasons? So it was well, six seasons? Or? We, it was weird because we had multiple seasons in a year because the seasons were marked by the buy. Right. So initially they were like, we're going to buy 12 episodes. So that was season one. But that was... but they Ten would do more than one season, that, they right? Went, we need twenty-four more. Was the, was the production was company? Uh, so technically, we were in like season eighteen when we ended, right? But it was like seven or eight years. But it was a it was a the meeting house production. Meeting house. I, production. I've done stuff for them yeah. before. Um. So, but we was Brian Odom your executive? Uh. Uh. At True TV. No. At at Jason Jason Silo okay. is who I did, and he's the owner. Okay. He because and he liked me, and uh, we're still very good friends. Uh, so I feel like I also dealt with him most of the time because he was like. You're not like he feels like he discovered me, which he did as far as TV is concerned. So he took a very personal interest in some of the cast members that he had never known before. Uh-huh. Um, and he really does love stand up comedy. So it was also that thing of like the comedians that he'd already worked with. He was like, nice to see you. But the us younger ones, he very much took under his wing. Well, it's crazy how many people it, it can be on. A, a completely no nothing nobody right. uh, fucking channel, but people will watch the shit oh, out of them. That I it's on in so many countries too. It's which crazy. is also so weird because then they dub my voice. Oh, they do. And so, like in Mexico, you would think because when they dub the voice, they don't dub a voice that sounds like yours. Which you would Does think, he sound straight? No, he sounds <laughs> so much gayer than me. <laughs> Because you know how in like when you watch like Mexican like those talk shows where there's like the guy in the bumblebee suit. Oh, I watch uh, I watch Caso Cerrado all the time, the the Latin court show. So you know how they'll have like the stereotypical voice where the guy's like beso da desa baba. Yeah, I'm like that would be (gasps) my voice. No, they went with the like I'm a little Mexican puppet. Really? That's amazing. Come on. What about in France? Um. In France, I haven't seen it in Europe. I haven't seen it live in Europe. I want to hear it in German. Right. <laughs> I feel like it'll sound a very disturbing. Super gay. Yeah. For sure. I yeah. mean, everybody sounds gay. Right. That's so weird to yeah. see yourself it's being so, It was dubbed. so funny to see it, yeah. That's so crazy. So now, so you did that. that you, yeah. you moved out here. How long had you been here before you were on Last Comic Standing? I moved it out here in 2013. And oh, it so was, two what, years later. Yeah. Well, was it? Yeah, it yeah, was 2015. It was 15. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I was so excited to be working on the show. As was I. And I, I was excited you were too. No, totally. Because I was like, I'm going to make uh, Brad and Mayron a show. <laughs> and it didn't happen. But, you know, I totally was like, that's I what I was use, thinking. I use clips of us sitting on the couch, two queens sitting on a couch bitching. I use that in like w- like showing people like material. Like, oh, when good. people just want to see me like improv with someone. Good. I'm like, watch this. Watch me and Mayron. Here's some bootleg footage. Yeah, from, bootleg like, footage. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. I can't believe I just admitted that I gave you that. Anyway, <laughs> who cares? It's fine. Paige, it's over. Paige isn't going to sue you. She's not going to sue me. Uh, so, it, but I, I really, that was really fun for me because I got to make people look good yes. in the event that they didn't make it the show because I didn't know how much footage was going to make it to NBC.com right. and I delivered 
I think over 140 videos, but they I'm only sure. posted 30. Right. So, uh, but well, you, and they shot even just the actual show, like the primary crew that backstage was crazy. They shot so much good none of it, improv, none of it, and made they aired it. none of it. They no. they aired an entire, and this wasn't Push It Productions doing. No, this was NBC's choice. It's always their they choice. They re they basically reshot a different show through editing. Mm -hmm. Because my understanding when I watched it was they started editing in people from different nights as if they were on the same night, which made them feel like the backstage wouldn't look continuous because they didn't do everybody all the time backstage. They did like teams. The nights. They did the nights, they, yeah. And I was like, no one in the audience is going to really catch on to that. It's just comedians riffing. But they do now because that's what they do. Like Just like what's happening right now with The Bachelorette, that somebody made a deep dive because there was a spoiler out saying that he won. So somebody went a deep, deep dive on his Instagram and saw that he liked all these uh, oh. alt-right accounts. So now he's having to apologize and The Bachelorette is engaged to him now. Like It's a shit show. So it's different now because right. we have the internet. Okay. So people actually would research that and go, hey, why was Brad locally in the back I would just think they would, it would just be the usual consistency thing of like yeah we edited it but it's the back like we edited that like it's still them joking backstage right I, they don't trust the I, audience yeah, to I get know. that but I was able to use I was able right. to repurpose some of that for digital but that backstage was so much fun it was so much for fun for some but for some comics it was really traumatizing well you know what I didn't like about it they needed to keep more food back there I was starving <laughs> I was allowed to eat your food. I was fucking hungry. I, they really didn't stash it enough. No, and they should have given you guys booze. And they didn't give you guys booze. I know. I thought I that know. was weird. Well, I can understand not giving us booze until a certain point because well, that's what I, I mean. was until shocked. you already got on. I mean, like in the set that I get cut on, it was midnight when I went up. Mm -hmm. It was like eleven thirty or midnight it was late. when I went up, yeah. and I was like last or second to last out of that night of whatever, 25. But we had started at like seven. Okay, so let's explain. I want the audience to know what it's like to be on a show like this. So, right. so it's not like you just showed up and that you, they, weren't, they weren't like, okay, uh, come to the lot at this time. Your set time is this time right. and then leave. You are there all day, all night. Yeah. So what, day, we, what time did your day start on the day that you shot your first set? Day, it was basically every other day. You were basically told you're going to work every other day. But on your off day, you're still going to work a little because that's when your next outfit fitting or your next like hair and makeup consultation or maybe like a private sit down. Like when we would do occasionally stuff with you that wasn't backstage. Like it was like, oh, and now we're going to sit down and oh, talk yeah, about something. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that would be like, you know, show up at one and you're done by four on your day off. Your day on was, it was easier for boys because we had less hair and makeup. Like they would schedule me last because they were like, we're literally just going to put like oil blocker on you and foundation and sweat pads under your arms and you're done. Did they give you sweat pads? yeah. Oh my god! I didn't see anybody get sweat pads. Yeah. What do they look well, like? Do they them. work? They're like maxi pads. They're like really thin maxi pads, and you attach them to the inside of the shirt, and they absorb all the they all the do. wetness. They do. They're annoying. They're like everything. I mean, I well, I, you were wearing a jacket, right? I usually was wearing. Yeah, I think actually in every clip I was wearing a jacket. Yeah, or, but they still gave it to you anyway, just in well, case. I well, you don't sweat, want to sweat through I it. I sweat like crazy. Do you really? I sweat like crazy, hmm. especially under lights and when I'm on. Right. And that whole backstage was from the minute you got to the to the Thunderdome. Right. Like you the minute you crossed, you know, from the from the hotel to the Thunderdome, whether you were backstage or on camera, you were on camera. All right, the time. that's true. It, there that's were cameras stressful. running 24 hours like all the time. Right. 
which was really exhausting and destroyed some people. I'm just that person where I'm totally fine with that. I'm totally fine with a film crew following me. It makes me feel so nourished and validated. <laughs> and it helps me sleep at night because it is exhausting and I never sleep. So I was like, I can go to sleep like a baby now. That's hilarious. Because I've just had to be on camera for 18 hours. So uh, what did you find it uh, uh, for the audience before the comic would go up and do their set? There is a story department crew right. that has a camera in the comedian's face right. and they're asking you, they're firing right. all these questions at you right, right before you go on stage. Right. Truly right now, up Now, was that tail. stressful for you? Um, it wasn't for me because we were warned about it. Okay. Um, I will say Paige and Wanda were amazing where like the day we all arrived en masse, the hundred of us, they had a moment where they brought us all over and Paige and Wanda were waiting in the in the Thunderdome, and they literally, oh I remember that and they yeah. not only they Paige gave a really beautiful speech to all of us that was very honest and explained why they chose everybody and ma- put everyone's mind at ease that this wasn't going to be gotcha television production and there wasn't going to be blooper reels of people the judges hated this wasn't going to be an American Idol throw people under the bus like this was made to rise up comedians hopefully to whatever their next level might be Mm -hmm. so whether it's your first tv appearance or you know you're making your comeback like it and then they walked us through that process they were like this is the stage manager who's gonna be there and this is the one on the other side and everyone has to walk through it as if they're doing it Mm -hmm. and so everyone because people would mess up and someone tripped on the stair like they told us we would but once we had all done it once with no one there you at least had a sense memory you weren't just told, like, hit your mark and then get off stage. Right. You had already, which is usually what happens on a late night exactly. show. They're like, here you go, bye. You had already hit your mark. Which, again, if you've never been on TV and you walk out and there's 500 people there. You and still, three judges. You still might get thrown off. Yeah. But they gave us as much help as you, like, legally could. Mm-hmm. But I will say it is kind of a mindfuck when you have a camera on you and it just suddenly now is in your face and you hear them counting down to you. And you hear Jesselneck starting to introduce you. And then they, there was like a 10 second rule where the stage manager would come and I would watch him time. And as soon as it was 11 seconds, he would grab us and then just turn you and look at you and be like, okay, remember, you're going to walk out there. Don't miss that step. Hit the center mark. Remember to look at the clock. You know what I mean? And then walk right off afterwards unless, you know, Jesselneck pulls you back or blah, blah, blah. And then it was just literally you were pushed out on st- – I mean, it was – you were, you know, it's Yeah, you were just thrown cliche. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're pushed out like, on stage. Now, and it's get like, out there, kid. And then it's so weird because they lit the, – I mean, they have to light the judges. Right. I've, I have – I'm going to go to some of the tapings for America's Got Talent because I worked on right. it this season, the season that's airing now. And I'm going to go watch because one of the comics I got on the show gotcha. is doing really well. And, um, but I want, I'm wondering if they're as well lit and so close to the fucking stage, like, like Roseanne and Norm and Keenan, like, I don't, because they were not only close to the stage, but they were elevated. Right. So I literally, if I were doing a spot. It was like they were on a pedestal. Yeah. It was like they were on pedestals and I would not be able to look at that. I would have to be like, uh, well, I I can't not address you because I, Keenan, I could, I could literally pick your nose. We're that close. Like that. It just, what was that like for you? That, you know what, that room didn't throw me. I thought it was for what it is, I thought it was kind of well like it felt intimate enough. It did. It wasn't too big. Yeah. But it also wasn't so small that I felt like God, they're right on top of me. Right. Like if I wanted to pull mid focus in my eyes and not focus on the audience but look at them, I could. Okay. 
everybody doesn't know how to do that. Like, everyone doesn't know that, like, you can look directly at an audience or a judge, but not really look at them. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's the thing. Also, and so I just, that's, I can do kind of that mid range view, that kind of like there, but not there, which in that kind of room, if it's going bad or it's going good, but you want to, th- you just thought of something, like, I'm fine with that. But it was also just such a brief amount of time. Right. To me, the hard thing is I'm not a ba-dump-bump comedian. Mm-hmm. I'm not a setup joke. I'm not a one-liner, you know, right. just you're, you're... take my wife, please. Right. I'm not a setup punch, setup punch. I'm more of like a Ron White. I mean, I'm louder and I'm faster and I'm gayer, but I tell stories right. that have 15 punchlines in them that are all connected to each other, but it's one topic that kind of goes... You can't do that on Last Comic. You know what I mean? Like right. You, you have such little time. But you also have a lot of... Uh, one thing that I feel like spoke to how well you did on the show is because you have so much experience performing in these huge fucking... Yes. Uh, yeah. Of doing the cruises. So yeah. it's like... And that sometimes some of those rooms have, you know, uh, 900 people. Oh, yeah. And there's 1,200 people yeah. in the room because yeah, yeah, they're yeah. on a cruise and they can't wait to see the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that... Uh, no, was yeah, that... I, did that skill set translate to the show? Yeah, and it's similar to the theater background. Mm-hmm. I mean, performing in a theater, it's 1,000 people, 1,200 hundred people 1500 people at a musical so I mean that didn't bother me at all Mm -hmm. like the fact we weren't in a comedy club right like setting didn't phase me at all what more phased me was kind of honing my material down to a tight three minute set and then I mean listen we were all planning in theory you were all if, if you'd done comedy as long as some of us had because there were definitely people there who this was their first TV experience mm-hmm. they'd only done comedy for three years and there are people there who'd been doing comedy for 15 or 20 years right like and I, I was kind of right in the middle at like I, I was like at eight or nine at that point you mm-hmm. know what I mean so we were also all kind of trying to measure out our material because if we got passed on you don't want to burn I don't want to burn what what I think might win me a finalist slot or the prize just to get myself out of the hundred. Well, what did like, you think when you moved on? Were you surprised? Um, I honestly I wasn't surprised I moved on. Um, and I I really wasn't surprised I moved on. Can I have I to say, like, not to be egotistic, that... egotistical, I wasn't surprised. No, I you moved were on. great. I was surprised the night I got cut. Well, wait, a bit, getting yeah. back to before the move on, then we'll get to the cut. Yeah. You know what I was surprised by pleasantly what? is that they picked two gay men. Yes. That yes. was like, what the fuck is happening? Thank you. Right. This is amazing. And you both are unapologetically yeah. gay. Yeah. And yeah. There, there's no like, I'm, I'm going to butch it up, but I'm going to, then I'm going right. to come out with this. By the way, and I'm May gay. And Mayron and I loved each other. They never tried to pit us against each other. Like they never. I tried to make you guys conjoin <laughs> twins. <laughs> Like, yeah, it was quite the... They also put us on separate nights so that the judges and the audience wasn't viewing. Because Mehran and I are both bombastic, loud... You love jackets. Right. (laughs) We love shiny jackets, Paige Hurwitz. (laughs) Um, But you know what I mean? Like, I thought that was also very fair to not just be like, here's all the black girls on one night. Or here's the two gay dudes. Like, these things are all the same. Right. Like, they actually separated us up and let people look individual. Right. Which also is sometimes hard for an audience. If if two very alt comics have just gone up and the audience has responded well to them, my comedy might be kind of too overbearing. Or if two big comics like me have just been on and now we have to gear shift into someone being an Andy Kaufman. I definitely, I don't know how, That's a hard gear shift for an audience. And I don't... 
I don't know how you fix it from a TV production point of view, but it definitely hurts some people. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I, th- I don't know who set the lineups for the show because right. I just was strictly working on the digital side. But I do, I, I do think that that was definitely... Uh, that there were conscious decisions made right. to make it fair for everyone. I do. I, I, and I to, agree. And for everyone to hit it out of the park. Because I honestly, agree. I can tell you, because I can give you some backstage, you know, right. drama. It's not drama. It's gossip, sort of. Uh, th- you know, they didn't want, they, they're like, we're comics. Right. We don't want anybody to feel Absolutely. like shit. Absolutely. I totally so, agree. Yeah. I mean, and for instance, my biggest shock was I thought my Achilles heel on the judging panel going in was going to be Norm McDonald. Not because I assumed he was some kind of homophobe or whatever, blah, 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 blah. But our styles are totally different. Did you expect him to be so fucking insane? I had no idea. He was insane, but he was madly in love with me in a way that was, that never made it to air. But like, (laughs) Roseanne got very critical of, of of me in a way I didn't expect because at that point we had worked together. I don't remember what she numerous, said. Numerous, numerous times. Where did you work with her? I, back in New York. Every time she would do stand-up in New York, I was always the one who was hired to fucking warm up the crowd or open oh. or host because I was a gay dude and she knew me from there. She knows me from Atlantis events. Oh. She's performing Atlantis events all the time. She knows me from here. Like... In the, in the lead up to doing that season, like she and I were on a lot of the same shows because Paige and Wanda were bringing her to see comics and blah, now, blah, blah. Now what, what, okay, so what, what did, I don't remember what she said to you. She kept demanding. Did that, it make the edit? No. Oh, okay. She kept, the funny thing is what was really interesting TV was her being really critical of me and Norm McDonald arguing with her and shouting her down and saying all these like specific things about me. And then Keenan just kind of being neutral with me, like being like, you're clearly a strong comic. You're clearly a good writer. I think they're both right. Next comic. Right. Um, uh, Roseanne kept, uh, Roseanne wanted me to do the kind of material she sees me do when there are no cameras on and it's a live show. She wants to see me doing fucking jokes and shit on my dick jokes. And it was NBC at eight o'clock at night. And I knew she they, should know better. I, well, and it did get to the point that I heard through the grapevine that after the after the first round, they went to her and said, "So with Brad Lokley, like we can't. You, you're the whole world doesn't know. Like we all know what Brad Lokley's act is, his adult nightclub act. He can't legally do it on here, and you know that you've done network television. It looks like you're being hard. It looks like you're saying he's a weaker comic than he is, as a critique." Like, just what, why are you doing that? Like, why? And she just kept up with it. And Norm was, like, cutting her off, cutting her off, cutting her off. Literally saying, like, I think he's showing, like, a level of writing ability. That he could have his own sketch show. He could ha- that he's a man who I can see being a fully rounded comedian. And he started naming, like, other famous comics. And I was just like, wait, what? Like, Norm McDonald's my boyfriend in this scenario? <laughs> like, he's the one coming to my defense? It was just so weird because he gave people such weird feedback he would give really good feedback and then he would give give odd misogynistic or weirdly out of touch or face feedback like I mean like I was like who just took over his body I didn't yeah he was so pleasant to work with nothing could have shocked me more than Norm Macdonald like was really into my work and focused on my set and kept defending me and so the night I got cut. Okay, so let's talk okay. about that. So so you make it to the semifinals, and then the semifinals, I think, were shot in two nights, right? Uh, or, semifinals were shot in two nights. Right, two nights. Okay, so what were you thinking bef- leading up to your performance? Um, I had done 
I, I mean, okay, so here's the real real. Um, someone had mentioned to me that because after the semifinals came the invitationals, which was the imaginary round, and then the finals. And because I made it past the semifinals and I was and I was doing really well. Like, you know, like when you work on something like that, when you get backstage and like associate producers and camera people and someone who vaguely works for the network is like, oh my God, really good. Like, uh, like everyone suddenly started talking to me in wardrobe meetings and like little pickup conversationals, like as if like, okay, so, and now two episodes from now, this is what we're thinking we'll do. Like they were talking about me in the long term mm -hmm. after I made it to semifinals. And then someone mentioned that I should probably go back and reread the contract that if I make it to finals, everyone in the finals is under a restrictive covenant that if I don't win, it could impact my pre-existing touring career. Not that anyone thinks NBC would really invoke that, right? but that it would now become a complicated year where I didn't win $100,000 and I didn't have a development deal with NBC. And if I make it right up to the finals and don't keep going, like I still got a lot of NBC. Like I got as much exposure out of Last Comic. Well, I, I think they went on tour. Everybody who was they in did. the finals. They made, made yeah. the finals went on tour, which also meant you couldn't perform for like three or six months within a hundred mile radius or whatever, like, which isn't uncommon, but right. would have fucked up some of my gigs. Yeah. And the tour, I mean, this isn't a dig at NBC at all, but like the tour wasn't going to make anybody buy a house that year. Right. Like the tour was, was going to, was going to basically Pay your even bills. out to the gigs I already did. And I'd like blah, 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 blah. So I did kind of start putting in the back of my mind, like, there's one more round after this. And I had written some new material in the last few months that I was like, this is really TV friendly. It's fun. I had gone into my coaching with Wanda where uh, she, she didn't really like the set and it was material I know she'd seen before. So she was like, I would consider like switching some stuff out. So I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to put a couple of the new things in there and blah, 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 blah. So I went out there. It was a good set. It wasn't the best set I ever did. It, it was, if the first one I did was an A plus and it got me past, this one was probably an A minus or a B plus. In fairness, the night I got cut, there was someone who got passed to the next round who just stopped doing their act for 60 seconds and made cat noises. I, I know who you're talking yes. about. Yes. Who, again, this is not a dig at her. I think she's a lovely girl. I, I then later heard her talking after I got cut and she moved on to her agent on the phone and I found out that, and I'm not represented by someone as big as her agent. So there are lots of decisions that get made in TV for whatever reason. <laughs> but... The night I got caught, I went very late as a, a comedian, and then they started announcing all the names. Usually, they would take about 30 minutes before they would start announcing and pulling people out. That night, it was long. And it we was were, torture. It was like 1 a.m., and, and they were holding the audience, and they weren't doing the names, and we were like, what's going on? And then we found out in retrospect, it was because the judge, judges were legitimately They were arguing. fighting. Yeah, they yeah. were fighting. That's what I heard, too. I was like, what's taking so long? They're like, the judges are fighting. So we like, get okay. down to them announcing the final person moving forward. And every comedian in the lounge, in the backstage lounge, and like crew are like, it's you. You're moving forward. And then uh, they go, uh, and then Jessel Knight did a whole, like, it took us a long time tonight. And the judges were fighting. Like, they never aired, but they taped the talking about the drama and they're like and uh norm absolutely refused wouldn't wouldn't not let one comedian move forward and the other two were on the fence and he couldn't convince them so this is the person going home and they said do you want to say anything to the comic who's going home and they went to they went to um 
uh, uh, Keenan and Roseanne first, and they were like, listen, everyone at this point's a professional, and you're all great, and blah, 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 and this is our choice. And then Norm said, okay, uh, what camera do I look into? And he went, to the person backstage that's about to go home, don't be mad at anybody here. You're going home because I didn't fight hard enough for you. I've been fighting for you like since the beginning. I and didn't even hear about any of everyone this. Everyone in the room looked at me and went, you're going home. <laughs> and I was like, yep, I'm going home. But the fact that like an entire network and TV production got held up to one o'clock in the morning while celebrity iconic judges argued over me. To me, immediately, I was like, that's fierce. I'm like, just glad that they actually took it seriously. Right. And they put the, uh, this is this is something that I heard. I don't know if it's a, a fact. I think it is a fact. Is that in the past, they had had America vote. Right. And the network was Which like, I would America never, gets it I wrong. wouldn't have done it. I yeah. wouldn't have done it if America voted. And I wouldn't have done it if they had done like a national open call for inexperienced people. Right. And that was one of the first things Paige and Wanda told all of us when they approached us is because I know a lot of people who did Last Comic before. And when I was much younger, when it was like season two or three, I stood in line outside in the cold. And there was legendarily literally a riot in front of Gotham Comedy Club Holy in New shit. York City. because. It was handled really poorly, and like it was handled really poorly. And if you if you go back to the you know local news back then, I mean, it was there were two hundred people rioting and throwing things at Gotham Comedy Club because people had waited for over twenty four hours in February outside in New York City. Like one girl actually did go to the hospital with frostbite because she passed out. Like. And so I was like, I if I wasn't going to be a part of that then, I'm sure as hell not going to be a part of that now. And Paige and Wanda were immediately like, they're letting us do this our way, the comedian's way. And I will say to the day I die, I am now so cautious to take anything reality-based or competition-based because I feel we were treated so well. We were treated so professionally with so much care for how... And not just on set, like, and it's a grueling schedule. Like, it's it is grueling. exhausting. And it can be emotionally hard if you mm -hmm. get critically judged. But that's the game. They can't do anything about that. The way we were treated at the hotel, the way we were allowed to have free time and interact with each other, that we weren't sequestered, sequestered in that kind of a, a you lot know, of reality show. They 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 sequester people they and you're locked up in you your down, room, you, and they have a PA standing outside no, of your door. I mean, we all knew we couldn't tweet about it or post about it, and if we did, we'd be pulled and yep. there'd be a lawsuit. But we were all adult professionals who they were like, "We'll just do it, and you'll be in trouble." Right. You're not. Nobody wants that. Right. The only people I think that would do that would be like Vanderpump Rules type right. humanity that would be on that kind of reality right. show. They would try to break the rules. We were allowed to on our like day off. Like for the people who didn't live in LA, I had my car there. And at first I went to them and I was like, are you going to clock if I take my car in and out of the hotel garage? Because we're supposed to stay on site, right? And they're like, on your day off, as long as you're not in Malibu, because what if we suddenly do need you? What if right. we filmed something yesterday behind the scenes and realize, you know, the, the audio fuck got deleted. So now we need you immediately. But so I was like taking out of town comedians around to like go to CVS, go do some food shopping for their hotel room, have a lunch outside of the hotel with like instead of using their hotel pretty their pretty at the hotel. Like we were allowed to spend. We would all go to the. Did um, you take anybody to the Eagle? <laughs> Well, That's no, what I would have done. I we got done. drunk Let's in the go hotel ahead. every night, though. When you yeah. were done filming your your competition night, you got hammered in the bar, and it was a, a room of comics. Yeah, talking till three o'clock in the morning about com like it was enriching and enlivening as a competition experience. And I just know it'd be so hard for somebody else to repeat that right. the way they did. That unless it was push it. 
I would be really skeptical of like, right, but at some point, like, I'm going to get heat stroke and you're going to let me die, right? Like, at some <laughs> point, we're going to be in the jungle and you're not going to give a shit I got bit by a spider. <laughs> so how did it change your career? Like, when it started airing, what, like, did it, what did it do for you? Or did it do anything for you? The weirdest things do things for my career, especially in the new world, mm-hmm. like in this new TV world. So, like... World's Dumbest did a lot, but it didn't do as much as it would have done 20 years ago. I mean, I was a constantly on-camera, you know, uh, star of an ensemble show, but a star of it for eight years. And not only because of just the way, you know, half the stuff's non-union now and just everything's changed. Also, there's just so much more TV that I'm a household name in a lot of America, which is really odd, especially as such a gay man, like, and from a show that wasn't about that, not from a Will and Grace, not from a modern family. So I have a very solid brand, but 20 years ago, being that openly gay man on a show like that would have made me, I would have club dates, like mainstream club dates all around the country to that. And I didn't immediately get club dates. I didn't any, but it led to more little TV work and green screen work. And it and it's TV is the good housekeeping seal of approval for a comedian. If you can list TV credits, it makes you more likely to be booked for any club, any gay pride, any festival, any. It hasn't helped me a bit. Really? Yeah. I'll even go to clubs and I'm like, oh, here are all my TV credits. Well, cl- uh, clubs are just such a fucking nightmare. Clubs are a nightmare. At this point, uh, the clubs, the only comics I know who TV credits help, it's because they've now also signed with like a manager. Right. And that's then, what they do. Right. They basically have, it's like an old studio system. So it's, they have all the connections at these clubs and then they say, I'm going to get you on Conan and, you know, Seth twice. And as long as you have decent sets they're now going to advertise that you were just on them and you can go to, you know, Tulsa for the weekend. Um, I don't, other than times when I'm really strapped for cash and haven't had a gig in a month or something, I don't lament the fact I don't have to do those gigs because I get a lot of other gigs as a gay man and just as the kind of comedian I am that other comics don't get. But, like, Last Comic helps for me when I go in for, like, pitches it's the first TV credit they want to talk about, okay. not the length of time. Like, they're impressed by the length of time I spent on True TV in a show that just was, you know, True TV, that show was was stuff people watch all the time late at night and people really like, but it's not a star-driven vehicle that becomes iconic and people, you know, start you know, Comic-Con cults too. Right, right. So they respect that. They respect the fact that I've proven I can work long-term on a TV show and clearly aren't problematic. Right. And that's a big But what they care deal. about is that a big, loud, gay guy like I made it reasonably far on, on NBC in primetime. Like that, but that matters in the meeting, like a general or a pitch. It doesn't get me road gigs. When I did Logo Aspen Gay Ski Week like two years ago, they did Bianca Del Rio's Comedy Cabaret, and it was me and Mateo Lane and Kim Joel Booster, or Joel Kim Booster, sorry, sorry, Joel, and um, Michelle. I'm such a terrible friend. Michelle, who was on The View, comedian. Oh, Collins? Yes, Michelle Collins and Bianca. And Bianca and I have known each other for 20 years. Okay, I just saw Bianca at the Ace Hotel. Brilliant. Isn't she wonderful? Yeah. One of the, I mean, and I think I talk fast and think fast. She is five steps ahead of me. Wow. She is brilliant. But 
she was actually the one who said, like, if we're doing it, we need Brad Lokley because there's not that many gay men comedians for real. And it's sweet. Like, he's totally legit. And she was like, then they looked you up, even though I have been to Logo and done work for Logo before. <laughs> but the newest generation of Logo executives looked me up and went, oh, my God, why? Of course we'd use him. He was on Last Comic st- Like, he's a gay dude on Last Comic Standing. So, like, but then that thing aired, and I got, like, 20 decent paying gigs immediately. Wow. Because it was Bianca Del Rio's Comedy Cabaret on Logo Aspen. They were all gay gigs. They were all still within I would rather, I, but gay gigs girl. pay better. Girl. Hello. And they're more pleasant, and yeah. they're better audiences yeah. most of the time. Except when they're not, and when they're bad, they're horrible. They're fucking awful. Yeah, but, <laughs> so, like, odd little things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, it was a one-off. It was non-union. You know, they aired like five of my 15 minutes. It was, I mean, it was fun. It was I, great I saw footage. it. I thought it was great. It's great footage. It's great on my reel. I, I use it in like Facebook ads all the time when I'm touring because it's good clips. But again, such a tiny little thing that I did for a network that even within the gay community is really only known for one show that doesn't feature non-drag queens. Right. In the way, but it was because I was with Bianca and I was with good other comedians. And you know what I mean? Like, but that still, there will be gays who run up to me. And like, I love you. And I'm like, on Atlantis Cruises or Arzu Cruises or World's Demison. They're like, no, I saw you on Logo Aspen's Gate. And then I followed <laughs> you on social media. And then I started Googling everything you've done. So TV has become that kind of shot in the dark. Right. It still works, but you have no idea which one's going to actually get you right. the gig. Right, right. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you. This was so much fun. <laughs> and you know, this is, I, I say this almost every week. I love having people that I know and that I work right. with a lot on the podcast because I always find out something about right. them that I, I didn't know. I didn't know you didn't, didn't know all that about I my... Can, I, I literally, we're going to have a 10-minute kiki after. <laughs> um, tell everybody where they can find you on social media. You can, uh, it's Brad Lokley, L-O-E-K-L-E, on everything. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. And even if you forget how to spell Lokley... If you type Brad Gay Comic in, I'm the first one who comes up. Ooh. Thanks, algorithms and homophobia. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thank you, babe. <laughs>